Well, good morning, everybody. Really glad that you're with us today as we kick off this series, and we're going to be in that psalm that we just heard read to us and saw those images, Psalm 139, over the next few weeks as we talk about the real you. So if you would, go ahead and grab your message notes out of your program. They look like this, and you can be able to take some notes today. All the Bible verses we're going to use will be there. Get your Bible ready, and you can turn to Psalm 139 right now if you want to, because we're going to be there all the time together we have today. So before I you know, really get into this, I'd just like you to help me. Uh, the teams that helped make all of this service up till now happen, they have worked so hard. We just give them a big thank you for all their efforts and leading us. Wow. I love getting to come here. You know, it's just so much fun, and I just appreciate all their creativity and all their work. It's just really uh, great to have you with us. We're going to begin this series in what is possibly the greatest psalm written. Uh, Some of you might argue that Psalm 23, but this one's close, Psalm 139, as we look at this, written by one of the greatest poets that ever lived, uh, King David. Psalm 139, we're going to go through verse by verse in this series and look at it. But before we really jump in, I want us to read the theme verse. It doesn't come from Psalm 139, but it's the truth I want us to start with. In Ephesians chapter 2, John read it a few moments earlier to us. And I want to ask you if you'd help me by reading it out loud together. Okay, ready, go. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, the Bible's overarching philosophy about human beings, about humankind, overarching teaching is that every person conceived is planned and created by God as a masterpiece. Every person is a work of art. And I want to think about that. When you look at yourself in the mirror, is that what you see? A work of art? It's a work, maybe, but a work of art. I think question that sometimes. What do you see? Or you think about it even further. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? We're going to answer that question in this series. But even a bigger question that we want to ask today as we look at this beginning message is this question. Does anybody accept the real you? Does anybody accept the real you? Does anybody love you as you are? You've probably always, you've, you've probably had thoughts like this and you've gone through life. Thoughts like, Nobody really knows me. Nobody understands me. Nobody listens to me. Nobody sees me. Nobody cares. Those are thoughts I think that are common. And some of us struggle more than others with these kinds of thoughts and wondering, do I belong anywhere? Do I really fit in? Does anyone know me? Because we want to be known. I read a quote this week that says what many of us feel. It says this, we all want our lives to matter. And we believe they will only matter if we are noticed by someone. This is what fuels a lot of the blogs, Facebook, and especially Twitter. We want someone, anyone, to notice, to care about our lives, to watch us, and by their attention that they give us, say to us, you matter, your life counts to me. There's what another person who was studying this whole phenomenon of Facebook and Twitter, he says this, He says, being able to express ourselves accurately satisfies a basic need to be known by others. Now, here's where I want to stop a moment and pause and just apologize to those of you who've been here for quite a while. And a few weeks ago, I was kind of railing on Facebook, you know, just saying, hey, this whole Facebook thing that we go on there and we put this, you know, image of who we want to be on there. Well, I was reading this week and I discovered that research actually shows that Facebook is probably the most accurate representation a person can give. 
most accurate because what they're wanting to do is they're wanting other people to know them as they know themselves. And so they express that self out there so other people can see them and know them. And says actually that many people uh, express a self that you couldn't even know face to face without hours of conversation that you can know in just a few minutes by looking at their Facebook and their image there. So apology given, accepted. <laughs> Those of you who are a little tweaked in me, okay. The question I want you to consider today is this. How do I get those deep longings for intimacy satisfied? How do I get those? If Paul says that I am a work of art, I am a masterpiece, just how do I discover this real me? How do I get to know this real me? How do I become this real me? Well, it begins with understanding not only that you are a masterpiece that God made, but he also made you for a reason and a purpose that we're going to look at in this series. He wants you to be the real you that he made you to be. And it can begin today. It can begin today if you believe what we're talking about as we go through this message in this next few moments. What I want to do first is I want to just kind of set up some myths that we believe that lead to a false identity or a false self that really don't lead to being the real you or, being, or lead to being reality. So here's some myths that we all buy into at a certain level. The first one is this, that we are who we know. That we are who we know. We basically kind of base our life on who we are, who we know. We try to find our identity through relationships, through the people that we know. The myth is that my identity is determined by the people I hang around with, that I'm beside. That's why people run from person to person, from group to group, from relationship to relationship, looking for another person to make them whole in some way. This myth says that you are who you know, you are who your friends are, so you better have the right friends, right? Or you're not going to really be anybody in life. You better have the right date, you better have the correct spouse, you better have the right buds because you are who your friends are. Now, if you don't get this one right, you're always going to be trying to draw out of people what they can never give you, and that's the acceptance and longing you're looking for because people will always, always let you down. They can never fill that hole that you're believing that you are who you know. Second myth is this. We are what we do. We are what we do. Now, we, some of us, we buy into this in different, differing degrees. But I just want to say this today for us all to hear. You are not what you do. You are not your job. This is going to be hard for some of you to separate yourself because you're so entwined with your job and what you do at your job that it's hard for you to see yourself any other way. I'll just add another thing. You are not your hobbies. You are not your activities. Some of us, we may not be in the job we'd like, so we you know, give ourselves to hobbies or we give ourselves to activities, and we're always trying to look for a way to define ourselves by what we do. It's so hard for us to not try to connect ourselves to what we do. So I just want to say this clearly, kind of help us to kind of get this. I am not a pastor. Some of you agree. <laughs> it's what I do, okay? It's what I do. You are not a plumber. It's what you do. You are not a businessman. You do business. You are not a teller. You're not an engineer. You're not a nurse. You're not a student. You're not an attorney. Those are things that you get to do. If you had a stroke today and you never worked another day in your life, you would be just as significant and valuable as you are right now, apart from what you do. If you don't get this right, you're going to try to draw from your job, draw from what you do, the things that that job can never fulfill or never do. Third myth, we are what we have. We are what we have. Now, it's amazing 
But this is probably one of the most seductive myths of all because uh, our whole economy is driven by this myth. Our whole economy, the world's economy is driven by this myth that we are what we own. So therefore, we're given messages, and then, you know, because we're given these messages, been given these messages so much, we tend to believe that we are our car. We are our car, okay? You think about that for just a minute. We are the place we get to vacation to. You know, the, only the certain people get to go to this place on vacation, so I kind of drop that when I get a chance. We are the certain toys that we get to have, so I need to make sure I have, you know, the boats and the motorcycles and the cars and the, uh, all the things that we would get that we would play with on the weekends because real people have those things, and we have to have those, and we, so we look at that. Some of us, we even say we are well, you know, where we live. We are the house that we live in in some way. And so we try to, you know, find the best place in town to live or wherever it may be or the best zip code, whatever it happens to be. Some of us say we are the, uh, all the media devices we have in our home. And so we, you know, want to make sure that we're all, you know, have all the tech, latest technology because that's who we are. And others of us actually say we are the communication device that we carry. <laughs> Got anybody there? <laughs> And so we just live our lives, and it's got to have this latest, latest device, you know, that that make me somebody. If you don't get this right, you're going to give your entire life to attaining what's in today and what's out tomorrow. It'll be gone. It's fleeting. Fourth myth, we are how we look. We are how we look. Some of (laughs) laugh. Now, it's not fair for you to laugh at yourself. Or are you laughing at someone next to you? I don't know. See, we all play this game that's all about physical appearance. You know, so we dress to try to fit in with a certain crowd, or we dress differently from other crowds because we don't want to fit in with them. And some, I just love this, that everybody thinks they're individuals in today's world, and so they got to dress. But what you do is you find all of us are dressing in some fat way to fit in with a crowd, even if, you know, we're trying to be very rebellious. Well, there's other people just as rebellious right there, and they're wearing the same things, and so there's where you're going to fit in in some way. So we think we are how we look. I wish I could convince my kids But every kid that goes to Twin Cities Church, I wish I could convince every kid that they would save themselves a lifetime of heartache, of physical abuse or uh, physical problems, of emotional stress, and thousands of dollars over their lifetime if they would just let go of this myth that they are how they look. See, in order to gain acceptance, in order to have relationships, uh, what happens is, is people go to the extreme measures to get just the right body or just the right look to get people to notice us so that they will accept us in some way. People resort to cosmetic surgery, implants, liposuction, taking stuff off, putting stuff on in some way, <laughs> so that they will be accepted by someone else because what they have is just not good enough. And so they have to have something added or something taken away. Now, I'll just say to, you, to the younger folks in the room right now, you may look good now. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> oh. But you're not going to stay that way. <laughs> if you don't believe me, just look at your parents, okay? <laughs> Oh, my kids rail on me, okay, all the time about how fat I am and how I'm just old and I'm decrepit, all these things. 
Folks, I'll just say it this way. If we believe these myths that we're told that somebody or something or something outside of us will give us acceptance and that we'll be known, those give us a false identity and we're creating a false self, the false you. God wants us to know the real you. See, everything changes when we accept God's view of us. So let me give you the premise of our series. Here's the premise of our series is this, that you will know the real you when you know the real God. That you will know the real you when you know the real God. We learn who we are when we know who God is. We learn who we are when we know who God is. So over the next six weeks, we're going to walk together through Psalm 139, and we're going to take this description of who God is. And as the psalmist writes, he helps us to know who we are. It's really a psalm about God. This is what's so cool. I love it that we said, you know, the real you, and everybody comes for you. But then they get here, and they find, well, that was all about God today. And it's because it's true. As I get to know the real God, and it's only when I know the real God can I know the real me and become the person he made me to be. So here I'm going to cover these first six verses in Psalm 139. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 139. If you picked up a lobby Bible, you can open that up. Uh, to page 477. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, just make sure to carry one of these in every week from the lobby. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, please take one home. If you do have a Bible, please put it back so someone else can have one. But Psalms 139, verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your right hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. And I'm going to walk through these verses. I'm going to look at the truths we can know about God, which can help us to know and become the real you, the real me. The first one is this. God knows you completely. God knows you completely. God knows you perfectly. God knows you intimately. You just anything you want to write there. God knows you completely, perfectly, or intimately. The psalmist writes this, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. That word examined, it's a picture of mining. And the picture of mining for precious metal. You think about the price of gold right now. You think about people that had given up mines and gone away from them. But now they're going back to those same mines and they're digging with a fervor because they want to find that precious metal. Well, this is the picture it says that God has, as he's, um, as he's loving us, he's caring for us, he's examining us, he's digging in our hearts like he's digging for precious metal. It says the word know. That word know means intimate knowledge. It means not just acquainted with, not just facts about, but it means an intimate knowledge of everything about that person. God is digging because he wants to know everything about you. The only one who really knows you is God. He's the one who made you. He's the one who searches for you. He's the one who examines you. He's the one who digs deep to know you better. Now, by the way, just just so you know, it's not saying that God doesn't already know everything about you. The picture here is that God loves you so much that he's willing to dig deeply to know you better, even to be exposed to the things that he already knows about you. It's just a picture of the longing he has to know us. He doesn't miss a thing. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to show you a video. And during this time that we're watching this video, it's a test, actually. And you're going to get to take a test. 
And so I'm going to help you out because the guy has a British accent. You may not catch it. There's going to be some basketball players, a white jersey team and a black jersey team. And the question is, how many times does the white jersey team pass the basketball? So you're going to count how many times does the white jersey team pass the basketball? Let's watch this. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. Ah. But did you see the moonwalking bear? <laughs> Go! Okay, how many of you did not see the bear the first time? Raise your hand. The rest of you are lying. Okay, you're just lying, okay? Oh, the point is this. We miss things, but God never misses anything. He always sees everything about you. And so on the back side of your notes, the rest of the verses make it clear just what God does know about us. And the first is this, God knows your actions. He knows your actions. The way the psalmist writes it is, you know when I sit down or you know when I stand up. Now, you have to know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and Hebrew poetry uh, would use it extremes and then to signify that it meant everything. So it would say like the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, saying both of those and everything in between. And so in this phrase, it's saying the sitting down and the standing up. So that means those things and everything in between. There's all kinds of pictures that the Bible would use to show everything. And that's what it's saying here is it's saying God knows all of our actions. Now, let me ask a question. Do you know what God was doing last night? Some of you are nervous now. Do you know what he was doing last night when you were sleeping with your mouth open and drool all over your pillow? He was watching you. He was watching you. He saw every time that your chest rose and every time that your chest went in. He saw every movement that you made. He, knew, he knows when you lie down. He knows when you can't sleep because of the worries that you're experiencing or maybe some pain that you're having in your body. He knows the struggles that you have that would keep you awake and cause you to wake up with a fitful, fitful dreams laying there in that bed. He knows those. He knows the loneliness that you feel sometimes when you lie down in bed. He knows your desperation. He knows your actions. He knows you that clearly. Secondly, he knows your thoughts. He knows your thoughts. So what the psalmist actually says, you know my thoughts. And he's saying, you, God, you understand me. I don't know about you, but I have a lot of thoughts that run through my head. A lot of thoughts. And, you know, just the fact that God knows all of them and that he's aware of them. And he knows that some of them are like way out there. And some of them are, you know, really strange. And some of them are really crazy. And some of them show my, you know, emotional instability, my emotional stability, my maturity, all those things. God knows all of those thoughts. And what he's trying to say here is he says to you, God understands you. He understands the source of those thoughts. He's not judging you for those thoughts. He knows 
your thoughts. He's there with you. He understands. Do you know that um, one of the hardest things about being a person, I think, is, the, is being misunderstood, right? Is being misunderstood. I think it's one of the hardest things about my job is being misunderstood and thinking, you know, that I meant something and then um, someone else's perception takes it differently and I'm misunderstood and there's no, re- no way to go back and really fix that. Uh, and so it's one of the hardest things, I think, that we live with is being misunderstood. But what we can know here about God is that God always understands. He knows your heart. Next, he knows your patterns. He knows the patterns that you have in life. And the way the psalmist writes it, this is this, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home. So you see my patterns. You see my manners. You see the things that I do. You know everything I do, he says there. He says, you know my ways. You know how I do things. You know those quirks that I have. He knows things about you that nobody else knows, that nobody else can see. And I know that those of you who are married, uh, when you got married, you thought you knew your spouse, right? And then after a few months, you realized that your spouse had some quirks and some mannerisms that you really didn't quite know you were signing up for. One, you know, Kim and I were talking about this last week, last night. I said, so some of the quirks I have, and she narrowed it down to a couple. And so, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, one of them is, is I'm left-handed. And so when I brush my teeth with my left hand, my sink side is the right. And so I'm on the right side brushing my teeth over the sink. And when I'm finished, I lay the toothbrush on the sink left to kind of drain right there on the sink left. Well, she has the other side of the sink, and so every time she looks there, there's my toothbrush staring her in the face, and it bugs her. <laughs> it bugs her when that happens, when I, when I do that. And so that's one of the quirks that I have. Another one that, and I thought all people did life this way, is that uh, the way I do my clothing in a week is that everything I wear in the week is piled in a chair in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> And I found out that bugs her. (laughs) But we've all got mannerisms. And here's the deal. God knows all of your mannerisms. And here's what's the wonderful thing. It doesn't bug him. It just doesn't bug him. He loves you because he made you and he made you the way you are. And he knows that you're doing those things. And he knows those mannerisms. And he loves you that way. And the next one is this. He knows your motives. He knows your motives. The way the psalmist said it is this. He says, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Uh, now, when I read that verse, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord? Here's what I thought. If he knows what I'm going to say, I wish he would stop me sometimes before I say it. <laughs> I don't know about you. Just wish he would stop it uh, before it actually comes out. But you know what? Here's what it's saying. And this is the beautiful picture. Is that, uh, have you ever known someone so well that you can actually complete their sentences? That's how God knows you. He can complete your sentences. And he knows why you're going to say it. He knows the motives behind what you're going to say. He can finish your sentences. And the next one is this. God knows your needs. God knows your needs, your individual needs. Psalmist writes, you go before me and follow me. Another one of those beginning and ending place means everything in between. You place your hand of blessing on my head. And so what the psalmist is referring to is he's referring to God's presence with us. God's presence. And that's what next week is all about, that God is always with me. This presence is always there. God is so close to you, so near to you, both on both sides of this spectrum and everywhere in between. He is there. And therefore, because he's there, he knows every need you have. 
There's not a need that you have that would surprise God because he's everywhere with you and always there. And then it says this. It says, and he will place his hand of blessing on you. Now, I, I know that one of the things I loved about being a, a dad of smaller kids and love being around smaller kids is, is I love touching them. You know, just a touch on the head, a touch on the shoulder. And it's just a touch of saying, hey, I love you. Or, hey, you're somebody. Hey, someone cares. Or, hey, it's just okay to be you in some way. And so when God comes to us, his hand represents more than just, hey, you're somebody. But his hand represents the hand of blessing. The hand that says, I'm going to meet every need that you have, every single one of them, no matter what you face in life. Some of us are facing some tough stuff. No matter what it is, I am beside you. He's saying, you can count on me. You are never alone. No matter how things may look to you, because I know you, because I'm there with you, and I have my hand of blessing on you, you know that all things are going to work together for your good because you're with me. We know that to be true. God knows where you are. Some of you may think, you know what, I can't go any lower than where I'm at. And you know, it may be true that you're in a low place, but God is there. Even when you go to those peaks and you're like, oh, it can't get any better than this, God is there. He's right there with you. God knows this. He knows every thought. He knows every word. He knows every motive. He knows every action. He knows every need that we have. So that's the truth about God that can develop my identity when I choose to believe it. So what is my response? What would the response be that God would want from this message today about who he is, about how to discover the real me? Well, right there, I've left it blank. Because I want you to do some work with me right now. In the next few moments, we're going to have a couple of different opportunities for you to think. And I'm going to ask you to write your response down. Based on what we've talked about today, what is your response to this truth about God that will help you discover the real you? Look at it. This is the psalmist's response. I want to read it to you from Psalm 139.6. Here was the psalmist's response to everything he had just written, to everything about God. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. His response was to worship. It's that simple. His response was to worship. He responded with a great sense of amazement. He was awestruck. He was in awe. Maybe you just want to write that down. I'm in awe of who God is. Maybe I'm awestruck or I'm amazed. Maybe you want to write down today, I feel accepted. And so my response today is to say I'm going to feel and know that I'm accepted. Some of you might say this, oh, I feel relaxed. I can get off the treadmill. I can get off the the, the for myth treadmill, that those things will make me be a better person or make me be the real me. Some of you can say this for the first, you know, maybe I can just rest. I just need to rest, knowing the truth about God. Others of you say, you know what? I write down confidence. I, I'm confident today because of what I've heard. Some of you just write down, I will believe. I'm just going to write down, I will believe. That's my response. And you know what? Some of you, honestly, are going to write down, I'm uncomfortable right now. Because I'm not sure that I want God to know all that I've done or all that I am. And I just want to say this. He already knows. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants to come into whatever broken spot you're in, whatever place you're in that would cause you to feel that kind of uncomfortable uh, feeling and maybe shame and he wants to take it away. He wants to make you whole. You might write down, some of you write down trust. 
I'm going to trust him. I'm going to place all my trust in him. Some of us might just have this response. It's in Psalm 147.5 when the psalmist says this, How great is our Lord. His power is absolute. His understanding is beyond comprehension. We're going to listen to a song now, and this is still time for you to be writing down your response as you hear this song. It's a beautiful song. Uh, it's been in our church life. We've never done it on a Sunday, uh, never in any service yet. Uh, but in many of us, this has been in our church life for a little over a year now as we've been listening to the song and letting it to touch us about that God can take us as we are and make us new. He can take the situation we're in and he can make it beautiful. I want to invite you to listen to this and let God speak to you about how much he loves you.
Would you pray with me, please? There's just so much hope in that, God. There's so much hope in you. And just we want to come before you now, and we just ask you, God, that you would help us with the struggle we have of seeing you for who you are. We have lots of confused messages in our culture about who you are and what you are and what you do. Help us, God, to know you. Because it's only as we know you that we can be who you made us to be. And Lord, I love that, love that hold pattern. And I just pray for everyone here today, wherever we are in our understanding of you or in our understanding of Jesus Christ, that we'd be willing to say today that we would respond by taking a next step. Maybe it's just to come next week. Maybe it's just to uh, write down, I'll try to believe. Or I will believe. I will worship. I will give myself to this God. And I pray, dear Father, as we go through this series, that we will truly, truly see the possibility of us being remade in you to know that we are a masterpiece, a work of art. Wonderfully made, it says. Incredibly complex. And we thank you for what you're going to do and let it begin today that we become the people you made us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.